0: With the weather warming up nicely, one artist suggested some fashionable cold water swimming in the cam might freshen things up with a zing at the beginning of the new season. In a wetsuit, perhaps, and much later, I cautiously replied, Welcome to Cambridge Arts Roundup, where it's time to look at how science and art can be friends that don't necessarily obey the same rules. We celebrate women in the arts and drop into some local exhibitions. In this edition we join Cambridge Professor Maciej Donashki to talk about his book on geometry and the role it plays in art and measuring the wonders of space. Artists at Extraordinary Objects Gallery in Green Street celebrate women artists in an all-female exhibition entitled Salute that even has large amounts of pink hair growing out of the walls. And Cambridge School of Art takes us for a dance across the tiles in two recent shows – present tense, future perfect, a multi-sensorial snapshot of the ever-evolving sense of self for artists. And then we move on to This Is Not A Shoe Shop, a show on ideas about coping with fearful militarism and our relationship with the modern world, including concerns relating to sustainability, globalisation and the impact of technology. Now that the skies are clearing, it's often pleasurable to look up at the stars above and wonder a little about the universe, informed perhaps a little by Hawking's cosmology. Cue the shooting star, music, and wistful sigh, and ponder on what we do and don't know about it. The known knowns, like the moon. The known unknowns, like black holes. And disconcertingly, the unknown unknowns, which might just jump out of a space station's ceiling at you or provide us with a perplexing puzzle. On one side, the scientists and mathematicians can give you a measured account using proven knowledge established by the theorems of Einstein, Stephen Hawking and others, and on the other, artists and people making computer graphic models to simulate phenomena who might be inspired by it. But in order to map it precisely with modern computers, we might need geometry to get our models exactly right, and perhaps even use the artistic imagination based on what we know to guess and map what we can't already see. As well as being fascinating, geometry is increasingly being neglected in education at the higher level. Renaissance artists such as Albrecht Dürer, Leonardo da Vinci and Piero della Francesca found they needed tools to figure out how to depict three-dimensional scenes on a two-dimensional canvas. Philosophers and artists alike were convinced that mathematics was the true essence of the physical world and that the entire universe, including the arts, could be explained in geometric terms. They use the two-point perspective in projective geometry to align proportion within artwork, and there are traces of its use in artwork of the ancient Greeks. Polykleitos, the elder, 450-420 to 420 BC, was a Greek sculptor from the school of Argos who attained perfect body proportions of the male nude, using a mathematical approach towards sculpturing the human body. Artist and engraver M.C. Escher made intensive use of tessellation and hyperbolic geometry with the help of mathematician H.S.M. Coxeter. It's an interdisciplinary relationship tied up with inspiration and perhaps a quest for divine perspective on the world around us. So what are its limits, its axioms, and although we can measure the shortest routes through space using deodesics, why does geometry fall apart in the reality of a black hole, and does it denote a fourth dimension, as in Picasso's 1907 proto-cubism painting Les Demoiselles d'Avignon? I went to visit Maciej Donarski, a professor of mathematical physics at the Mathematical Institute in Cambridge and fellow of Clare College, to find out about his book Geometry, a very short introduction, in the hope he might educate me just a little on such intriguing matters. Now um, I've come here because to find out about geometry, because obviously it's tremendously important uh, in in artwork. But first of all, um, Massia, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, what's your background?
1: Well, I'm um, I'm Polish now, Polish British. I've lived in the UK for over half of my life. I came to Oxford in mid '90s to do my DPhil, and then having stayed there for eight years, I moved to Cambridge in 2002 where i've been ever since geometry it's 2500
0: years old how did it all begin
1: well i'd I'd say that it's it's older than that so it, it is not the geometry we know but geometry as the the oldest branch of mathematics was known to the egyptian and mesopotamian cultures well before the Greeks got hold of it. It, um, it started off as a way to, to solve practical problems to do with volumes, shapes, and areas. And it, it was very much an empirical subject, but, but you're right, it went down to the Greeks back 2,500 or so years or so ago, who tried to um, put it in logical framework and axiomatize it. Um now
0: um it's all about um well measuring space basically isn't it one way or another um, and I suppose that um in art, obviously it was tremendously important. Um, during the renaissance period uh, and beforehand for for basically working out perspective in paintings
1: wasn't it th- th- that's right and this part of geometry is is rather complex so, uh, as you, as you say it it was um although it can find traces of perspective in in roman and and greek art and goes back to 5th century BC. The geometry of perspective, the way we know it, was understood sometime in the 15th century, and this goes well outside the axioms of Euclidean geometry. I mean, it's fair to say that Almost every theorem we know from school, and the, the Greeks knew back, back 2,400 years ago, every such theorem is not true in the geometry of perspective, which we now call projective geometry. What was the aim of your book
0: um, as this introduction to geometry? What were you hoping to do?
1: Well, see, geometry being probably the oldest and one of the, the prettiest uh, branches of mathematics, and it, it's also a, an area where the concept of mathematical proof first appeared, for one reason or other went out of fashion. I mean geometry before my generation was heavily taught at schools. People knew a lot about things like cones, planes, conic sections and whatnot. Uh, but 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 nowadays it's been replaced by mathematics which is regarded as more useful. Things like statistics. So I you know I think there is a an interesting story to tell to, to, to kind of remind people that mathematics can be can be explained without any formulae but just by drawing pictures
0: um, measuring shapes and the the whole idea of, of um, accurately mapping out shapes does that
1: come into digital art as well in terms of geometry in in almost every aspect of of um, of, 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 of geom spatial intuition we have like like travel space travel we need to find shortest paths, uh, we call them geodesics, we need to produce maps, sometimes maps of the kind of part of, of the universe which which are different from Euclidean, they they're not flat. Um, geometry is very much in in demand um, in, in those areas.
0: Um, it, it seems to me that you know with the space time continuum and the, the fact that gravity can bend space and and things like that, that that being able to a- accurately um, map all of these things um, using geometry would be tremendously important for the future. Also, um, I think it was Einstein who said that um, imagination is more important than knowledge um, and the whole idea that you can, on the one hand um, measure things that happened in space using geometry and on the other hand depict it in art in a way that illustrates it seems to me it's quite an, an interesting one does that work for you at all as someone who um, deals in mathematics you know it?
1: It, it, it very much does does. You know, as, as, a, as a professional mathematician, most of my time is, uh, non-teaching time, mm-hmm. I should say, is, is spent by um, trying to, to prove theorems. And, um, and in geometry, the kind of mathematics I do, a good place to start is to try to draw a picture. I mean, picture is hardly ever a proof, but, but with some intuition, it can tell you what proof should be like. And and Some of us, many of us, prefer to think in terms of equations, algebra, but those who are motivated by pictures tend to be geometers. The genius of Einstein, um, which led us in the direction of of geometry, so Einstein, um, with very little experimental observational evidence, postulated that what we perceive as, as gravitation, you know, motion in a gravitational field, that's an effect of, um, of curvature of space-time. So his, his contribution, one of many, was to um, you know, join space, three-dimensional space with you know, three directions and time together into a space-time and bring concept of curvature to this um, and then argue and explain you know, quite precisely how this curvature um, causes uh, massive objects to move. And and these objects obey some axioms. Now, you might disagree with these axioms mm-hmm. and you'll build a different axiomatic system, but Euclid's one um, w- turned out to be a, an excellent one for what we needed. So we, without listing all five, let me tell you one of these axioms. So he says, um, so these are the axioms of geometry of the plane, like, you know, a flat table. Mm-hmm infinitely large. Euclid says for any two points on this plane there'll be a unique line segment connecting. This. Now if you take pen and paper and experiment with this then that'll make sense. Indeed for any two points you'll find a unique segment. But it turns out this needs to be postulated as an axiom and there are four more axioms like this on which you build what we now call Euclidean geometry.
0: No. Uh-huh. Well, well
1: I think geometry lends itself wonderfully to this um, idea. In fact, I have a colleague and friend in Cambridge, an artist called um, Harry Gray, who's been very successful in turning some of geometry into art. But, but coming back to the subject, see, one thing you, you would want to do in geometry is um, visualize surfaces. So mathematicians, geometers, um, you know, take pleasure in, in constructing surfaces, like a surface of a sphere, but more complicated with interesting curvature properties. Some of these surfaces would be positively curved in, in, in one region and negatively curved in another region. And you can then say, well, can you make models? Can you make sculptures of these? And, and that's what the art is do so. mm.
0: um, Is it um, for um, computer mapping important as well? Is that something that, that because when you use um, uh, computer analysis of space and, and things like that, basically you get these the, this digital mapping and process
1: going on. Is geometry important in that at all? I think in in computer mapping and you, what you might refer to as as computer graphic or mm. vision, yeah. the geometry which is important is the projective geometry the the, the same geometry which the renaissance artists were um, interested in because what you get there you see is a number of pictures of the same object uh, taken from different uh, points different angles we call them different projections and if you just have one projection that's not enough it turns out to recover all distances and areas accurately, but if you have more than one, then you can do it, but you have to be quite specific how you go about it, and this projective geometry helps.
0: Did, did Stephen Hawking ever use it in cosmology um, uh, in a big
1: way? Oh, v- ver- very much so. In fact, if you look at, you know, beyond Stephen's wonderful popular science books, if you look at his papers and and, and scientific books, very very Geometric. They built on what we called Riemannian geometry, and this is the geometry underlying general relativity and Stevens, uh, especially Stevens' early research in, in classical general relativity, leading to. Um, theorems about black holes. Very, very geometric, essentially. You you prove theorems in a geometry, which is not a Euclidean geometry. It has a different set of rules and axioms, but but it's geometry nevertheless.
0: Um, He argued in one case that um, time um, didn't have any beginning to it. Um, And basically what you had was the universe, in terms of time, going forward like a cone with a round bottom on it. Is that a geometrical puzzle in some way, um, in terms of what's known
1: in science? Um, it is, I mean, geometrically, it is quite clear what the argument was, you see, what what he. Technically speaking, this this um, part of, 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 um, of Stevens' research is now called Euclidean quantum gravity. Mm-hmm. Quantum gravity, because it tries to bring gravity and quantum mechanics together, mm-hmm. and Euclidean, because it goes back from this Einsteinian vision that times and space are different dimensions. What, what Stephen does in this proposal is he ta- ma- makes time imaginary, an imaginary number, and what that does to geometry is it turns it back to a more Euclidean perspective. So that's quite clear and, and quite beautiful. But whether this really describes physics, I think it, 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 it's, an open, um, it's an open question. Uh,
0: what are the main features of your book? What are the highlights of it?
1: Well, I, you know, I, I, I try to demand or ask for minimal knowledge. So I, I, I don't think I am, um, you know, if somebody who's got GCSE in mathematics and, and hardly remembers what they are, can... can uh, make start and, and read it if they're interested. I start from Euclidean geometry, because I think this is really the geometry as most of us know it, and it's our intuition builds on Euclidean geometry. It, it, it turns out that it's not the only geometry. So one talks about geometries in plural, not geometry, because by weakening some of the axioms, primarily what Euclid referred to as the parallel axiom, you can have other geometries, quite fascinating objects, abstract objects, which which are non-Euclidean. So that's where where I take the reader in in, subsequent chapters. Um, Then there is also this projective geometry, my personal favorite geometry of Renaissance art, where you... Try to make sense of perspective and projections, and you try to see whether there are any results, any at all, from Euclidean geometry, which which hold in this projective geometry. So you see, some um, um some people remember the Pythagorean theorem. That's the theorem everybody learns at school, with um, right-angle triangles. If you if you take the sum of squares of Two shorter sides of such a triangle, you get a square of a longer side. Well, if you take um, if you take a, a picture of such a triangle and the squares, and you look at it from a distance, um, the, the theorem is just not true, because the triangle will not seem right-angled anymore, and some squares will not look like squares. So you say then, are any theorems left um, at all which are true? But 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 there are, and I explain those in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, uh, you know, because of my personal research and interest, I'm, I'm interested in the interplay between um, geometry and the, the universe. So, Why and how exactly geometry fits into the description of black holes. So there's my last chapter where I use ideas from Euclidean as well as non-Euclidean geometries to try to explain in early elementary terms why it is but geometry, as we know it, breaks down um, in the center of a black hole.
0: That's an interesting question. Why does
1: it? Well, um, the, the answer to that question, why does it, that's been um, rewarded with a Nobel Prize, which went to Roger Penrose um, two years ago, and he, he's got it precisely for answering this question. why why it breaks in what we call a singularity and and how it does so. So the the, the Penrose theorem um, is that if you take the assumptions, the axioms, if you like, of Einstein general relativity on board, and you follow the rules, you solve the equations, you make some reasonable assumptions about the type of matter we see in the universe, then um, what's called a singularity has to form and the singularity well it can be it's quite technical object to define but what what, what that, that signals is that space and time um, break down in some region and the curvature of the of the space time becomes infinite. You see nature neither nature nor mathematics deals well with infinities and what, what Penrose's theorems show is that these infinities cannot be avoided if geometry is applied to to universe, just think. Um, th- that's right. But perhaps let, let me let me try and give you a, 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 a good maybe one of few examples where art was really well almost ahead of geometry or parallel. And that that goes back to is non-Euclidean. An example of a non-Euclidean geometry mm-hmm. is a geometry which remains if you drop one of the Euclid's axioms um, um, and that's one, one model of this geometry, um, the model we called a, a disk model um, has been um, visualized and almost independently discovered by a Dutch graphic artist, E.C. Escher, who uh, apparently had very little mathematical training. He was introduced to mathematicians like Penrose and Coxeter in 1950s. He learned about hyperbolic geometry, and he went on to produce beautiful graphics known as circle limit four and other circle limits, where you know you would have a disc full of um, angels and and demons, and the angels and demons get smaller towards the boundary of the disc. Although in this geometry they really have the same size. Well, that you know this this. Um, Graphics of Escher's were were measured and analyzed by mathematicians who then admitted that he had the geometry, this non-obvious hyperbolic geometry, spot on right. So there is some genius of an artist, which, which can replace the equations. What I try to get across is that this, this beautiful truth about mathematics can be revealed just by drawing pictures um, of pen and paper, looking at them, how lines intersect, how cones intersect planes. And it is, it's a great game, not only mathematics.
0: Mercier, thank you very much indeed for a most interesting talk on geometry and uh, we're talking to Cambridge 105. Thank you. You might suddenly have clocked that it's International Women's Month, also the appointed time to celebrate women in the arts, and perhaps give them a well-deserved kiss. It's a subject not without its problems and controversy, especially if your artwork has explicit subject matter that might offend those with a dainty disposition among us. Well, if you're looking for somewhere to celebrate, i found there's no shortage of talented women represented at Carla Nisola's Extraordinary Objects Gallery in Green Street, when it opened an all-female exhibition, Salute, in a range of mediums, which has been drawing in an appreciative hum from art lovers. It draws together ten influential artists, including Bridget Riley, Laquena McIver, Helen Beard, Olivia Wright, Elena Saracini, Tracy Emmons and American political artist Jenny Holzer, alongside local Cambridge talent Lynn Strover and Mel Fraser. The hallmark of the gallery is that exhibits are both extraordinary and evoke wonder. The show highlights the importance of female creativity and expression in a male-dominated industry, which has shocking statistics, as female artists, though equal in number to men, only command 2% of the art market in 2022. I joined Carla Nisola and local artists exhibiting Lynn Strover, a former gallery owner currently exhibiting bespoke jewellery, and sculptor-carver, writer, and painter Mel Fraser to hear about what's on offer and to talk about their work. Carla, what's this exhibition about?
2: So this is an all-female exhibition. Um, it was it's it's basically to celebrate celebrate women in the arts. I put it on specifically to kind of commem- commemorate Women's History Month, you know, month of March, and yeah, I wanted to to celebrate women of all kind of backgrounds, you know, various cultures, various disciplines, you know, sculpture, jewellery, painting, street art. So yeah, these, these 10 women um, that I've got on display are from across the globe, working in different mediums, and they're all very influential women working in the art world right now.
0: Wonderfully, beautifully laid out gallery with loads of bright artworks all around, but you have a couple of very peculiar things here, which is that there's hair growing out of mm-hmm. the walls. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, there's <laughs> two large, um, hairy um, uh, artworks here. Where do they come
3: from?
2: So they're by Elena Saracena um, and she is, well she's based in London but she was she's Venezuelan mm-hmm. and yeah they're, they're these pieces made by by her, she's a, an emerging kind of talent she's curated, she's written, she's kind of jack of all trades but this is her latest series called the Hair Piece Series which yeah she basically uses masses of dyed hair um, to create these amazing kind of tactile installations What is Elena is trying to do is kind of show how um, we and there could be women, men, whoever you know. We how we decorate ourselves nowadays, and kind of anything goes. To um, I guess it's almost like a costume to reveal these different personalities, um, whether it be pink hair, blue hair, piercings, you know, costumes. Um, mm-hmm kind of anything goes nowadays.
0: Um, These sculptures are yours, aren't they? Um, Tell me about that fantastically gratifying um, um, sculpture which looks like an enormous golf ball with um, Swiss cheese um, going through it in in white. Um, How did that come about?
3: Okay, um, that was part of a series that I did um, with the the, the theme basis on Genesis, which is obviously the creation beginning of time. And um, I wanted to explore uh, holding a piece within the stone which so it's all, the piece itself is a whole integral piece of stone and pierced with um, a, a nugget inside so it, it's formulating the sort of creation the the, 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 the moment of time uh, to generate um, the impression that you know, when light also penetrates through the stone because it's made of alabaster, um, you get this sort of very ethereal sort of um, light coming through it. Um, And
0: And, and that has connotations of of, of seeds and eggs and things like that, doesn't it?
3: It does, yeah. I mean, one can sort of, yeah, so I mean, obviously, you know, uh, the beginnings of anything, uh, in, in its creation comes at, at a, an exact point to, mm. to be developed further.
0: And there's another um, very large sculpture here in white which um, looks um, slightly like um, a kind of resurrected sycamore seed, um, but a gigantic one. That's an interesting, another seed theme that has.
3: Um Yeah, I mean, I, I get inspiration from anywhere and everywhere, um, be it sort of on a sort of visual plane or... Um, sort of metaphysical to words and um, that did stem from just observation of of sycamore seeds and uh, remember just some really beautiful examples in the autumn just spinning down and um, I then sort of developed a whole series on that. Um, and sort of piercing the marble. Again, I like to play with the light. You get the lovely translucency to it, and this electric line of light that comes around the surface.
0: How have you interacted with the other artists in this exhibition? Because there's quite a lot of you, aren't there? Uh, So what's what's been going on between you?
3: Well, I I was really excited to be asked um, to exhibit. Um, I have... Um, come across Lynn before in my experience when she was a gallery owner and um, yes very inspired also by her her history of of support of artists and now Carla um, the the gallery owner for extraordinary objects and um, it, it's just really inspiring to be able to have a group of women um, and, and see all the diversity within their work and the relationships that one can connect to
0: um, Lynn, um did you do some, some of the layout here? Because this is one of your talents, isn't it? Making something visually... Absolutely amazing. not. Lay- no, I've
3: nothing to do with yeah.
4: it. I offered help, and they are so amazingly well hung, these pictures and prints and sculptures. I mean, but they didn't need me at all.
0: And what are you doing nowadays?
4: But I didn't want to fully retire, <laughs> and so I reinvented myself as a silversmith, inspired by my lovely artist Brianna Casey
0: and your jewelry is displayed here it looks quite fantastic tell me what you've laid out
4: i think the um the technique of making making beads um forging beads is quite time consuming i'm sure people in india who make silver beads get very proficient at it but <laughs> yes yeah, so there's quite a, and the silver tubes are all made by hand yeah that's and then I've cast some rings, and that's really good fun. takes different amounts of time depending on how successful the cast is.
0: are the things that women are wearing by way of jewelry of this sort and um, changing at the moment are people is, is this very modern examples of what people are wearing I,
4: I don't think it is actually i don't think I'm on trend really. I think it's more uh, classics sort of designs. The trend now is for layering fine chains and Mm-hmm. Bits and thin pieces around the neck. For, that's the younger generation, but these have an appeal. Perhaps for um, if I say, an older neckline. I don't. Oh, I shouldn't say that, should I? Mm-hmm. I'm talking everybody out of it. But it, yeah, I think they they they're not for young necessarily. They
2: don't have a young appeal.
0: Mm-hmm. They're absolutely wonderful thanks for sharing to me
2: there's a huge range of women um, on display here um you know we've got women from um, America street artist Swoon, who is you know she's got permanent collections in museums all over the world and she does a lot for charity we have laquena who is a black artist um, living in London and she's a, again a kind of street art kind of installation creator with this huge kind of I guess, positive messages behind her artwork. We have some emerging artists from London, mm. from different backgrounds, based in London, but also one's Venezuelan, one's um, from south uh, south of the UK. Um, Helen Beard is British, um, but she has a background in filmmaking. Uh, We have Jenny Holzer who is an American political artist um, and then obviously Bridget Riley and Tracey Emin who need no introduction, Um, they're kind of iconic female British artists.
0: Do you see that there's a massive amount of diversity here?
2: Oh yeah definitely, I'm
3: I'm involved in the um, uh, open studios which I have been since 1996 and um, it, it is actually really exciting to see the, the, the extraordinary diversity of the art from women, but also the um, the endeavours that they go through to uh, produce their work and try to get it shown, mm-hmm. I think can be really difficult, and that in itself. So that, that, that why I'm I so, so excited to be invited to Carla's gallery, because... It's so wonderful to have um, a gallery with substance um, based in Cambridge and I know it's going to open up so many more opportunities for for women artists. Uh,
0: It's absolutely crucial when you're an artist, isn't it, to be a sought-after artist, basically, um, because that um, enhances your reputation faster than anything else. Um, And that is a big area for women to improve, wouldn't you agree?
3: I, I think so, but I think it's really difficult to sort of penetrate through that barrier um, you are seen to some extent as being you know uh, well, the the one of the questions that's always asked of me uh, when people see my work is like, oh, do you do this full time? as though there must be some other uh, support behind you and that you are um, you are not capable of doing this to support yourself and your family um, through your work and, and and have the seriousness of dedication to uh, pursue your your art. I, I think that when women produce work that is actually quite explicit, they're almost sort of condemned as being charlatans if that's a, a, an acceptable way of phrasing and that you know sort of how how dare you do that you know there must be something wrong with you you know you you mustn't produce work that's going to shock or or or, or offend and I mean I, I've experienced on numerous occasions one time I had a piece peaches and cream uh, a very small little marble peach with cream and um Oh, did that boy? Did that get a reaction and uh, got slammed and you know was told that shouldn't be on display, etc., etc. You you come across it all the time. We're half the population. We should be celebrating women a lot, lot more and give them a
2: bigger voice of so, you know more exposure.
0: How long is this exhibition running for?
2: Uh, until the 23rd of April, Saturday the 23rd, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, thank you all very much indeed for talking to Cambridge 105, thank you. March certainly improved an interesting month in the local arts calendar as Cambridge School of Art exhibited 13 emerging graduate artists in a show called Present Tense Future Perfect in which luminous tubes of liquid helped the audience to circulate drink in hand. It's now quite generally accepted that perception depends on knowledge of the world, so seeing the future depends on memory of the past. Memory is also essential for our sense of identity, or the self. The works included in this exhibition represented not only memories, but real experiences. Lives, loves, losses, desires, hopes, fears, anxieties, thoughts and anticipations. Memory for past episodes provides us with a sense of personal identity according to Klein and Nichols in 2012. Artist Samuel Richardson is concerned with how scientific apparatus can be represented in kinesthetic art and become the fruit of experimentation. We've just stepped into a completely darkened room with uh, what looks like a sink with a pipe in and various luminous things glowing on the walls So, uh, and pipes which have luminous liquid
5: um, flowing through them. Tell me what's this all about? So this is all about kind of an- analogue photography. It's, it's- Like this rejection of art having to have an end result for it to, you know, have meaning or value. Instead, it's all about the experience and you're forced to focus on the now in in this moment because it disappears before your eyes. It's a a fleeting experience. And at the same time, you're seeing this exchange of energy from the light touching the, the photoluminescent water and then sending the light back to you. So it's this exchange of energy that. That you can see in all life, like in the waves, but in here it's like I'm trying to exaggerate that point.
0: The light's coming from a cu- couple of sources, isn't it? It's coming from a laser pen which you're using, which is a very nice one. It's a purple laser pen, and, and as you put it in the water or, or shine it on the pipes, um, they luminesce and the water flows through them. Um, it, that's a very satisfying thing. It's, it's almost like a,
5: a boffin's experiment in many ways, isn't it? <laughs> that type of experimentation is a, a big part of the work and never known quite what you're gonna um get like these these anomalies and different outcomes are, are part of the wonder of the work really like I, I spend all my time in 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 the shed kind of doing little experiments with different different glow-in-the-dark paint and different you know just types of fountains and pumps and yeah you come up with these weird outcomes kind of.
0: Now, now these square glowing images that are on the walls, what are they exactly?
5: Well these are the the same, they've got, uh, well, oh, similar. So they react, react to light? Yeah, I mean, they I react to light. It. It's, um, yeah. They have the glow-in-the-dark paint on top of them and um, so these stay for longer so I wanted to have these and the uh, fountain at the same time because of the time difference so these stay for like maybe three minutes before they disappear mm. whereas you're forced to watch it disappear in the fountain.
0: And this is great fun. It's kinesthetic
5: reactive artwork. The, the laser pen creates um, images on
0: the squares of a luminous paint. Um, and you can actually paint on it um, um, with a laser pen, which is quite interesting. And the shapes you're making are... <clears throat> yeah, they're... They're really quite something. Wonderful squiggles in, in <laughs>
5: the mid Yeah, I actually um I did this for uh, my my family at on bonfire night as we we had like some silent uh silent fireworks and that because we have pets and uh, this was like a an alternative that I brought to the table and we did some pictionary like from a distance it makes it harder and yeah just. Well, this is a fantastic installation. Thank you very much for sharing it with me. Well, thank you very much for for taking part. It's um
0: yeah. Been been a pleasure. Artist Sarah Strachan created a large reef like structure across the floor space with hexagonal vessels, which had connotations of the giant causeway in Ireland, and hods full of seashells which people could add to the structure if they liked, she says she likes getting people moving in her space.
6: So it's an arrangement of hexagonal ceramics. They look a little bit like giant causeways, I think you sort of suggested, or maybe a honeycomb because they're all kind of tessellated together. And that's kind of a reference to sort of the geometric and the fractal beauty that we see in nature, but also in architecture and in the urban world. Um, and that's on the on the left and on the right is a bowl of slip olympic shells and the idea is there are a couple of videos behind the work which place it in Chelmsford or just outside one is a uh, in situ actually uh, near the river Blackwater in Essex which is where I have the inspiration for this work I'm doing some field work for the British Science Festival there uh, and the other one is a it's essentially an invitation really It's an invitation for people to get involved with the work so often artwork is you know kind of do not touch or you know kind of off-limits kind of thing and the idea here is to invite people to use some of the slip olympic shells um, to start building a kind of an imaginary uh, artificial reef which might help to uh, boost native oyster stocks in the Essex Peninsula
0: So it's kind of, um, in a way, you're inviting people to fertilize the hexagonal reef, aren't you?
6: Yeah, essentially. It's sort of like putting a seed in, and maybe that's planting a seed, getting people to, planting a seed in people's minds about, yeah, everyone can make a difference. I think people get really overroared with, you know, climate change and with uh, environmental kind of catastrophe and like, you know, and the loss of bio, the biosphere and the and the species. So, yeah, it's just a really an invitation that we can all do something.
0: Sarah Strachan, thank you very much indeed. Co-curator of the show, Stepanka Rover, an exhibiting artist piece explores curiosity and what the back of a gallery of some 20 hung paintings might look like in the impossible space behind the wall they're hanging on. It explores the fascination of wanting to go round the back of reality itself and to see what's there for the first time. We're looking at an absolutely fantastic um, art um, installation of yours which has uh, something like about 20 large squares with colourful interiors in it and some further squares suspended from the ceiling. Now, this at first is quite perplexing. Can you describe what we're actually looking at here?
7: So we're looking at a lot of colour, and uh, it is because I'm inspired by Josef Albers and his sort of exploration of colour interaction. But also, we're looking at paintings, and but paintings that are not sort of displayed in a traditional way. So And what I mean by traditional way is that when you go to gallery, you see a painting on a wall, and we see the front of it, but we cannot see the back. And that was something that is a little bit frustrating for me, because I think there is a lot of information on the back of the painting and so often there is another image on the back of it so I was thinking how to display a painting that we will see the back and the front at the same time so I started to dress the stretches the frame uh, the wrong way around and painting on inside but then I also inserted a square inside which is facing the correct way I know it's probably hard to imagine but um, So that's what my work is about, uh, exposing the back and front at the same time.
0: So it's interesting because the the concept is that you're going round the back of um, art reality and having a look at the back of it, um, discovering what's round there, basically. So you were saying earlier that um, you didn't like um, things that were... Uh, unknowable or or, or, Mm -hmm. um, unvisible, so you wanted to know what was round the the proverbial corner, the secret corner.
7: Exactly, it's always, and I always feel like it's someone else's decision to tell me what I am supposed to be looking at, and uh, so, yeah, I find that frustrating, and so I'm trying to go around it and expose as much as I can. I mean, we still have back of the canvas now which is facing the wall but really in reality is the front and um yeah so yeah uh, yeah i'm um. a so
0: huge amount of thoughts has gone into this artwork which is quite striking thank you very much indeed for talking to cambridge. Yeah. thank you well i was told if i was not satisfied with that there was much more to see at a further exhibition by cambridge school of art at the grafton center entitled this is not a shoe shop a worried public on looking a war that could kill us all prompted themes on coping with fearful militarism Auden's poem was blown up large on the back wall. The ogre does what ogres can, deeds quite impossible for man, But one prize is beyond his reach, the ogre cannot master speech. About a subjugated plain, among its desperate and slain, The ogre talks with hands on hips, while drivel gushes from his lips. And running throughout the exhibition are recurring themes relating to our relationship with the modern world, including concerns relating to sustainability, globalisation and the impact of technology. The group of artists were Karen Burton, Joe Dean, Stepanka Fasarova, Kate Green, John Revel, Sarah Strachan and Aisha Zolgader. Sarah Strachan once again introduces the work.
6: The show itself is called This Is Not A Shoe Shop. Um, it's an interim show of MA fine art and MA printmaking students. Um, and it's kind of midway through our preparation for um, a master's project, which is the kind of culmination of our MA uh, so, it's quite provisional work, quite uh, work in progress, and yeah, just us testing some ideas in a slightly unconventional space.
0: Now, where does this um, wonderful poem by um, W.H. Auden come into the logic of the show?
6: Yeah, so um, this is uh, a, an artwork by Stepan Kafej Srova. Uh, she's a Czech artist and is based in Cambridge, or just outside. Um, but it's a reflection on uh, some of her kind of personal heritage. It's a W.H. Auden quote from 1968, August 1968, and it refers to an occupation of uh, what was Czechoslovakia at the time uh, by the Soviet Union. Very prescient at the moment, and I think Stepanka feels that it could be written, uh, you know, it's a poem that could reflect February 2022 as much as August 1968.
0: Now, now, um, there's there's quite a few things which um, have uh, military stories behind them, not least of all your piece of artwork here. What have you got here? It's a tripod with a circle on it made from wood, which has a specific purpose.
6: Yeah, so um, this is a reflection on uh, an experience I had. I had the I suppose I was lucky enough to get out to Orford Ness, it's quite a difficult hidden spot um, and it has kind of quite a complex history to it in as far as it was used for nuclear detonation tests so it still holds the kind of memory and trauma of that kind of military heritage and for me I'd sort of forgotten about the footage that I'd taken while out on the spit there and then it kind of came to the fore again thinking about this sort of nuclear threat again and thinking about the situation that we're in, bringing back that kind of feelings that i had as a child of like kind of what would happen if somebody pressed the wrong button at some point
0: Um, I was talking a little bit earlier about um, the fact that um, nothing really surprises people terribly much about what we're witnessing, but people are distressed about it, aren't they, and artists
2: Yeah,
6: absolutely, and and I think that's just coming out in the work here, so although we might all have had uh, a trajectory that we were working towards on this sort of Masters project uh, we've all been influenced, I think by the situations as they are now, Um, and so at least three artists in the exhibition, there's only seven of us, so nearly half of us um, have actually, me- you know, made some kind of reflection on our, yeah, our current situation.
0: Now, there's a piece here in front of us which has multi layers in it. Just masses of rings of um, metal and posts and things like that, which looks like some kind of amazing um, tank trap, um, overlaid with. Um, colorful images of woods and things like that now that has a specific story behind it as well
6: yeah so it's a it's a work by Joe Dean and it's called elephant cage and it's sort of a reference on this site that near where he grew up which was a US military base and it had this kind of like array this radar and it was one of I think six other arrays in the world that were essentially used for spying and surveillance particularly obviously on on the USSR as it was at the time yeah it was very kind of around the kind of cold war sort of infrastructure um, and so I, he'd been working on this sort of long before and kind of our the developments more recently um, and I think almost feels like he he might be sort of indulging that and, and we were all saying to him today that no you know it, it's it's very prescient and it you know it's just reflecting the time that we're in and that's what we as artists do.
0: Um, it, it, it's, it's wonderfully Cold Warish, and it's also um, very colourful in a way that it kind of dazes you, doesn't mm. it? Um, and that's a, a, a quite a high-impact piece of artwork. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think
6: it's very successful. I mean, it, it essentially it disorientates you, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, you, in a way, you don't want to look at it, but you're also drawn to it. It uses this sort of uh, trichromatic kind of distortion or you know, kind of almost glitching, um, yeah, to kind of to disrupt the image and and but also give a kind of feeling of you know that sort of digital kind of surveillance you know maybe sort of um yeah a a screen like image but in in a kind of paper or you know kind of physical form
0: Sarah Strachan thank you very much indeed well doesn't time fly when you're having fun and I'm afraid we've reached the end once again of Cambridge Arts Roundup which we'll be back soon with more topical stories from the art dimension If you have a creative story to tell, contact me, Simon Burton, at Cambridge 105 Radio Online.